0: It's Thursday, November 8th, and this is The Daily Dive. Attorney General Jeff Sessions has been fired from his post at the Justice Department. One day after the midterm elections, Sessions resigned at the request of the president. His chief of staff, Matthew Whitaker, will be acting attorney general until a permanent replacement can be found. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters, joins us to discuss what this firing means and how it could impact the Mueller investigation. Next, we continue our conversation with Ginger about all the fallout from the elections. Big picture, how does the dynamic change now that Democrats control the House? Get ready for a lot of investigations. Also, women made huge gains in historic firsts by being elected to office all around the country. Ginger will run down the list. And we will also get into President Trump's combative press conference with the media. It was classic Trump and classic Jim Acosta. Finally, Money is pouring into a GoFundMe campaign for a teacher who was caught on video punching a student. Marston Riley, a music teacher, can be seen punching a student after he threw a basketball at him and used racial slurs. There are many that say the teacher handled it poorly, but there are also those that are supporting him, donating over $145,000. My producer Miranda joins us for all the details on this brawl. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in.
1: You know, every president deserves an attorney general to have confidence
0: in. I like Jeff Sessions, but this is just not working. So if we hold the Senate, uh, I think you'll probably see a new attorney general sometime next year. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. There is so much news to unpack. We just had the midterms. There's a lot of things to analyze there. Then the president had his news conference where he blew up at reporters that were there spinning the loss of the House as a positive for him even. And then Attorney General Jeff Sessions resigns, or rather he was fired. He was forced out by the president. So let's start with Jeff Sessions in his resignation letter. The first thing he says, at your request, I am submitting my resignation. What do we know about Jeff Sessions being forced out?
2: Only President Trump could make losing the House of Representatives into a one-day story by making more (laughs) news. And that was this announcement that Jeff Sessions is no longer the attorney general. As you said, he was basically fired when you're asked to resign and you agree. We still call that firing. And he got rid of him, presumably after his continued anger that Jeff Sessions wouldn't put a stop to the Russia investigation. Sessions had recused himself from being involved in that investigation because he was involved in the president's campaign. And for that reason, they couldn't make it stop. And the president didn't like that. And that's been an ongoing point of contention from President Trump directed towards Jeff Sessions.
0: Yeah, for months, the president would tweet about him saying, you know, he's weak. I don't have an attorney general. I think at one point, Jeff Sessions even drafted a resignation letter and sent it to him. He said, hold on to it until you want to throw it in there. So they've been at odds for a long time. Even though Jeff Sessions, which was such a huge supporter of his, and the report says that Jeff Sessions received a phone call from Chief of Staff John Kelly before the president held his news conference. So the president didn't even call him telling him, I want you to resign. He had John Kelly do it.
2: The timing is not an accident. President Trump wanted Jeff Sessions gone a long time ago. We know that Republicans in Washington talked him out of doing it before the midterm elections, fearing that would gin up Democratic enthusiasm. We now know that that enthusiasm was pretty high when it came to House races, but not in Senate races. So maybe it did help them on the campaign trail. But this had been a a coming thing. And, And we've seen Republicans in Congress really move their viewpoints on this. Over a year ago, we saw Senator Lindsey Graham take the position that firing Jeff Sessions would be unacceptable. And then a few months ago, completely reversing that and saying he would understand why the president would want to fire him. So uh, we knew it was coming. Maybe we didn't know it was coming today, but <laughs> right. and maybe Jeff Sessions didn't know it was coming today, but it was on a long time in the making.
0: And now Matthew G. Whitaker, who is Sessions' chief of staff, will be acting AG. The next thing is that this throws the whole Mueller investigation into turmoil. Reports have said that Whitaker will overtake seeing over the investigation, leaving the fate of Rod Rosenstein uncertain and the fate of the whole Mueller investigation uncertain now.
2: I spoke with legal experts who confirmed to me that Whitaker now has legal authority to take over oversight of this investigation from that of Rod Rosenstein who was doing it because Sessions had recused himself. What he does next is a big question. There are some tea leaves, really bright tea leaves to read. Whitaker wrote a column for CNN.com a little more than a year ago in which he said Mueller ran the risk of overstepping his bounds. He's been quite critical of the investigation in his time, particularly as a commentator on CNN. Now, what that means for how this works for Rosenstein and Mueller is yet to be seen. He can fire Rosenstein. He can only fire Mueller for good cause according to the law, which would mean like a dereliction of duties or violating agency policies or doing something that would qualify as misconduct. So it's not clear, but there's a lot of ways that he could be stopped without being fired, including there's the possibility that Whitaker could refuse requests to file indictments. There's a possibility that he could refuse requests to make Mueller's findings public. So there's a lot of ways he could put the kibosh on things without right. firing
0: him. Some reports have said that that the president doesn't necessarily plan on keeping Whitaker. He said he'll name a permanent replacement at a later date, but this puts the president in a better position to have Whitaker end the probe. So that way the president, uh, you know, his hands are clean at that point. He doesn't have to necessarily uh, have had to fire Mueller or anything like that. So that'll be very interesting to see how that develops. And Democrats have already said that at all costs, they have to protect the Mueller probe. So it, that's going to set up even more fights there. Let's move on to the president's press conference, uh, news conference about the midterms. I, as we said at the beginning of this, he spun it. The loss of the House is a positive. He said I, it was almost a complete victory. <laughs> they did pick up seats in the Senate, which is going to help him on that front. So what did he say at this press conference?
2: The press conference went... Almost an hour and 25 minutes. Oh, man, it I was know. long. It was a bit of airing of grievances at times. He complained about candidates that didn't want to be seen or be involved with him, that he blamed that on their loss.
0: Oh, I know. Um, Mia Love of Utah. He's like, Mia gave Mia Love gave me no love and she lost. Too bad. You too know?
2: bad. <laughs> so it's too pretty, bad.
0: It's comical uh, how this he, stuff is.
2: He verbally scuffles with CNN's Jim Acosta, who was trying to press him on some of his rhetoric about immigration and the migrant caravan, when Jim wouldn't stop asking questions, a staffer came over and tried to take the microphone out of his hand. That didn't work.
1: I think you should let me run the country. You run CNN. And if you did it well, your ratings would be much better. I'll tell you what, CNN should be ashamed of itself having you working for them. You are a rude, terrible person. You shouldn't be working for CNN.
0: Let me ask you real quickly about that, because the president did start off kind of measured. As you said, he was poking at some other republicans and things like that but he was kind of measured he's talking about bipartisanship and then the media got up and started asking the questions jim acosta he's had these dust-ups with the president he does press hard on him but at the time that the president says okay you're done questions are over And now he's fighting with the staffer for control of the microphone. That just looks bad. And that looks good for the president. It looks like the media, at all costs, just wants to keep fighting with him.
2: You know, I would never report to tell Jim how to do his job. I've worked alongside of him for a number of years now. But there will surely be criticism that he was trying to hog the spotlight, that he was trying to have a moment, that he just wanted to be seen as fighting with Trump, that it looked unprofessional and rude. But I think Jim would argue that he was asking hard questions that the president wasn't answering them, that someone needs to keep pressing him, that if you just let him say whatever he wants and don't follow up, he won't answer or answer honestly. So there are two sides to this one. I don't know that I would have done what Jim did, but he did press and it did cause quite the scene in the middle (laughs) of that press conference.
0: He also said that if Democrats, because the worry now is that since Democrats have control of the House, they have subpoena power. They're going to be launching all sorts of investigations, whether it be into Trump's taxes. I know they've said that they want to get the tax filings, the tax returns. The president said that if they want to investigate me, I might take a warlike posture back. And we're investigate them through the Senate and things like that. How does that? I mean, I know the president was talking about bipartisanship at first, but then this kind of gets thrown in there.
2: We got a long way from bipartisanship really quickly. There is no doubt that we will see subpoenas and investigations in the Democratic-controlled House when they take office in January. They have said so. They have been very clear, and they promised to do so on the campaign trail. And the president felt that in the early days of the Mueller investigation, when his advisors were telling him not to say anything, to just lay low and just let Mueller run his course if that was a mistake. And then he started fighting. And he thinks that when he started publicly fighting and trying to discredit Mueller that that was successful for him, he's going to take that position now with the House. Expect lots of tweets insulting the chairs of these committees. Expect him to instruct his agencies to not comply. Expect lots of legal battles. It could get really nasty. And what that means for the public will be seen. There's a lot of hand-wringing right now about whether Democrats could go too far. They could look like obstructionists. They could tick off their voters. The public could think that they were just trying to dig up anything they could find and not trying to govern. But at the same time, Trump has a risk that he'll look like he's hiding something if he doesn't comply with Democrats on some right.
0: fronts. He did have some nice things to say about Nancy Pelosi, maybe just kind of setting up, hey, we got to work together in the coming, you know, next year. So maybe he's kind of being nice on that front, but he did give her some credit at least.
2: Or he was trying to upset her opponents by making it seem like she was too close to him. Who knows what his actual motives there were. (laughs) It did sound nice, but it could have been a little bit of of an intentionally double-edged sword.
0: And now on to just kind of all the bigger other bigger picture stuff that happened with the midterms. There was not this huge blue wave. A lot of people were expecting they did win the control of the House. But in the Senate, they lost some seats there. The president even said whatever happened with the Brett Kavanaugh hearings really hurt the Democrats. Then tell us about that. And then let's get into some of the big news about all the gains that women have made. Just some historic firsts as well.
2: There was a bit of a wave in the in the House. They could pick up still as many as. 35 seats. There's still a few more being counted. That's a wave. And that's a lot of seats to pick up, especially when they're dealing with a map that was written to favor Republicans so strongly. But it was a a good wave and then a red tide in the Senate that took out a number of incumbent Democrats, incumbent Democrats that were in states Donald Trump won by double digits. I think that the big takeaway when you look at both of those results is that there are lots of people in America were angry about trump and they were motivated to go to the polls in a lot of house districts and that gave democrats power and there's a lot of people particularly in states that helped put donald trump into the white house that like what he's doing
0: and want to see his policies continued i think one of the headlines i saw that kind of accurately describes what you're saying was that the blue wave hit the red wall and everybody got what they wanted because you know as the anger against president trump grew, they made the gains in the House, and the people that really are liking what he's doing kept the gains there in the Senate.
2: That's right, and the places where you can see a little bit of that wave getting over the wall were places like Wisconsin, where Trump won, and the Republican governor lost. Places like Michigan, where Trump won and Democrats won the governor's office, seats in the state legislature and picked up House seats. Those are places where he's going to have to spend a lot of time and effort in helping try to ensure his reelection in 2020.
0: And everybody has said that the reelection campaign started today. You know, he's putting a lot of focus on what's going to happen in two years. Let's talk about all the women that have made all these historic gains. A
2: hundred women in the United States House. Of representatives. Those are historic numbers. They won in a number of regions. There will now be, for the first time, not there was none before, but there will not be two African American or black women from New England, two women who are Native American who were elected to Congress. There was two Hispanic women from Texas. That the state had never previously elected a Hispanic woman, women everywhere that picked up seats in real historic numbers. There are six times as many Democratic women as there are Republican women. And President Trump chastised me a love, but that was a woman in the and the only African-American woman in the House Republican conference who lost her seat. So big pickups for Democrats, but a, a loss for, for Republicans.
0: Yeah. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the youngest woman elected to Congress. There was uh, two uh, female Muslim members of Congress also. So, And we had been talking about this previously leading up into the midterms, the wave of women that were going to be here. And they did it. Huge gains for the Democrats on that front as well. So, you know, very good for them. It's, it's going to be a, a very different House everything changes now with the way they're going to be interacting with the Senate and with the president. So it'll be interesting to see how these next two years fare.
2: I can say, though, that today was a great reminder that the president unlikely to change. Donald Trump is (laughs) is the same Donald Trump today as
0: he was yesterday. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Thank you very much for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: This is Marston Riley, and I'm letting you know that this GoFundMe page is legit. I want to thank Cecilia Diaz for setting it up for me, and I want to thank you for supporting me. You are a blessing. Thank you. Joining me now is my producer, Miranda. There was a high school teacher. His name is Marston Riley. This happened in Maywood, California. He got arrested for punching and beating up a student in class. There's a lot of Angles to this. So let's get some uh, basics down real quick. What happened?
1: Sure. So Marston Riley is a music teacher at the Maywood Academy High School, which is just south of Los Angeles. It's in LA County. And the 64 year old music teacher basically had a pretty intense brawl with a 14 year old student late last week after the student showed up to class not wearing his assigned school uniform. So the teacher dismissed him and said, You need to go to the office. And that's when Essentially, all hell broke loose. The student got incredibly disrespectful, up in the teacher's face, throwing a basketball at his head, and then Oscar ultimately calling him
0: the N-word. There was a moment, because there's video, students obviously pull out their cell phones right away, start recording these things. There's video that shows the teacher, Marston Riley, pulling out his cell phone, calling for backup, you know, whatever school administrator or come remove this student or school. Yeah. Campus police or something like that. Come remove him because he's being disrespectful. And like you said, he uh, called him the N word, threw the basketball at him. And then this is the moment you could see the frustration, in the video when the teacher cracks and he Punches the kid. We have some clips of what happened. Let's start off with the kid being disrespectful to the teacher, Marson Riley.
1: Yeah, what you're going to hear is what led up to the punches. You better see me. I'm right here. Oh, I'm alone, bro. saying that. On, bro.
0: So he's calling the N word, throwing the basketball at him, and as I said, the teacher still has his composure. He calls for backup, and he loses it, and then he lets loose on the kid it's difficult to watch because he's not just punching him he's still holding the cell phone so he's hitting him with the cell phone and he's much bigger than the student here's that he's huge compared to the student here's that uh, altercation
1: what you're not seeing in this because it's just the audio is the other students attempting to rip the student from Riley's hands, other students pulling Riley off the student, and there are tons of kids trying to interview.
0: They're going at it for like a good solid 30 seconds, which is a long time when you're just flailing punches around. And that's just what we saw. Yeah. The Maywood Academy faculty released a statement saying many Americans saw for the first time the deterioration of respect for teachers. We have created an environment where disrespect, bullying, and intolerance can thrive. And I agree. I mean, I've seen this stuff for so long. When I was in high school, I remember very vividly it was in my geography class. And some of those kids in that class were jerks, disrespectful of the teacher. The class lessons weren't properly taught because they were just constantly talking and wisecracking all that stuff. One of the kids stood up, the teacher was kicking him out of the class and he was going, but he was saying stuff under his breath. So then she got really mad and she picked up something off of her desk. It looked like a jar of jelly or something. I really don't know. And she threw it as hard as she could. And luckily it was a bad throw. (laughs) She hit the wall, but the jar cracked and jelly went everywhere and instantly you see the look on her face. It changed. And she said, I am so sorry. She threw it with enough force for it to break on the wall. If it would have hit him in the head or something, it could have seriously injured him. But it was the frustration, very little power to really do anything to him other than kick him out. And if he can, he can be disrespectful the whole time. And it was kind of this similar situation. People are all over on this topic. Uh, many students and teachers and parents are supporting Marson Riley saying that kid was super disrespectful. And on the other side, people are saying, well, he went too far. He should never hit the kid. But the crazy thing about this is now that there's a GoFundMe page set up for Marson Riley, the goal was $50,000 in four days. They've raised about $145,000 for him now so he can pay for legal fees and things like that.
1: Yeah, Cecilia Jimenez, a former colleague, and she's actually a current school district employee, immediately launched a GoFundMe page because she knew that there were going to be. Massive legal fees associated with this. Riley was arrested shortly after the altercation took place on Friday afternoon. And he did end up posting a $50,000 bail and being released the next day on Saturday because of the GoFundMe. Like you said, Oscar, it's uh, over $135,000 because, as Ms. Jimenez stated, not only is Riley going to have his own legal fees, but she's expecting the parents of the boy to file charges as well.
0: All right. Thank you, Miranda. Thanks, Oscar.